you've found The Paulist, a daily comics analysis podcast. It's daily so that we can read widely, and it's analysis so that we can dig deep. You're invited to pop in, listen whenever you want, and I'm glad that you made it today to our Small Press Saturday, where we're going to be talking about Niobe, She is Life, from Stranger Comics, um, by Jones, Stenberg, Woods, and May. Um, I'm Paul. I'm an English teacher. I'm a literacy researcher and a comics reader. I'm on Twitter at Tuply, and you can find visuals at the Paul List. Um, and you're listening on Stitcher or SoundCloud or iTunes. Hey, wherever you are, we'd love it if you rate and review and share. Um, we'd love your feedback, your criticism. Um, today is our Saturday Small Press, as I said. Our comic is Niobe She is Life, and we're going to be talking about fantasy and the use of the widescreen panel. So let's dig deep. All right. Um, Saturday is one of my favorite parts of this podcast because we get to highlight work that um, is out there and is has, you know, a following and fans. Um, I tend not to talk about work that has, uh, you know, no appearance, but um, maybe a little bit off of the giant mainstream, especially the um, realms where DC and Marvel are hanging out. And um, today uh, I get to highlight an artist that I have um, enjoyed and respected for a a little while now, and that's Ashley Woods. I came to know Ashley Woods through um, a book that came out last year called uh, Black Women in Sequence, um, Reinking Comics, Graphic Novels, and Anime uh, by Deborah Elizabeth Whaley, uh, which was published by University of Washington Press. Um, and before that, I had seen on Tumblr uh, a lot of um, postings of just really cool looking art from this artist Ashley Woods and then a few articles and things like that that were highlighting the fact that Woods is a black woman artist and I think that's become something that um you know the thankfully the comics community is becoming more aware of recently there was a bit of a, a controversy at Marvel when it kind of um you know became public discussion something that you know is not actually surprising for people who've been watching the fact that um there's never been a black woman writer on in, in a Marvel comic, which is kind of stunning to think about in light of the huge number of titles that are out there. Um, it's being rectified. Rox, Roxanne Gray is writing a um, a uh, forthcoming Black Panther um, with Ta-Nehisi Coates, and um, Nyla Magruder has done a, a Year of Marvel's digital first comic um, with uh, Tick with uh, the squirrel girl squirrel arms feel so bad tippy toe that's right and and i think with um uh rocket raccoon and stuff like that so you know we're starting to see that the rec if it was whether it was the recognition um or not uh of this of this lacuna um you know nyla magruder is the super accomplished web comics artist uh roxanne gay obviously somebody who um who who knows what she's doing and then what was great in watching that whole um row was the 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 comments of well maybe there's not a black woman writer marvel because there's not black women writing comics which is um a, just patently ridiculous and false um ashley woods is one example of that um others that are documented in uh, deborah whaley's book um show a long history of black women being involved as creators um in various ways and various kinds of comics um and really pointing out that you know, it's, it's really the industry that has a job to do. Um, the, the creators and the, the, the really the brilliant people are out there. Ashley Woods, though, I should say, is not the writer of Niobe She is Life. Um, the writers are really interesting. One is a, a, a man named Sebastian Jones. And, um, Jones is sort of a artistic, uh, Renaissance person. Uh, he think he writes, he, 
acts, he teaches, he grew up in England, um, I think from a, 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 you know, he grew up a, a mixed race, um, you know, person in the UK, moved to the United States, um, did music stuff, um, started Stranger Comics and published um, comics and also published kids books about being mixed. Um, there's one called I Am Mixed, there's another called I Am Living in Two Homes. Uh, and then in, in, in the comics realm, uh, Stranger Comics has published a, a few series that are part of this dark fantasy universe that, um, Jones and others have been creating together called Asunda. Um, and he wrote a series called The Untamed, A Sinner's Prayer, and also Dusu, Path of the Ancient. Um, if you're interested in finding out more about Mr. Jones, he's, he's a fascinating creative individual. Um, there's a great interview with him on the Geek and Sundry um, YouTube channel. So you can look up Sebastian Jones uh, on YouTube and, and find out more about, about him. Uh, the other writer in this book is um, a young woman named Amanda Stenberg, who is an actress who played Rue in the Hunger Games movies. Um, and she also is is uh, mixed race and was born in 1998, which <laughs> is stunning to me because that's the year I graduated high school and it just goes to show how old I am and, and really how much of a prodigy she is creatively. Um, and, uh, you know, a memorable turn as Rue um, in those movies. But I think actually it's really interesting because between the two writers uh, and, and moreover, Woods's work, you can kind of see where we're coming from in terms of being a generation. And I think there's a pretty big, uh, well, a, a decent age gap maybe uh, between the two writers, but sort of between the time of, of, of Stenberg and the time of Jones, a generation that grew up with fantasy being very much... Um, a voice of a lot of, um, you know, uh, making sense of and reconciling with things that they experience and things in the world. I mean, this is the Harry Potter generation and the, and the Hunger Games generation. And, um, what I love, one of the things that I love about that, that generation, and I would maybe even count myself on the old edge, on the older <laughs> edge of that generation, um, but extending down to, to people who are now in their early twenties, um, making, uh, making, creative things in the world is that um, sci-fi and fantasy one weren't a um, you know a, a basement uh, set of genres they weren't degraded or, or looked down upon um, you know and we have things like Harry Potter and um, the hunger hunger games to to thank for that and two I think that those fantasy spaces um, were also spaces of imagining uh, different worlds including worlds where um, really core issues to our cultures and societies are are dealt with you know um i think often of students that i taught who we would just you know we would talk about you know uh, social issues we'd talk about poverty we'd talk about issues of race and immigration and then we'd also talk about um these books or movies or comics that we were reading that uh showed us you know worlds where draconian uh, authority figures uh, you know stole away <laughs> the um not only the rights but also the the sense of breath and life and freedom uh to characters um and and how much those um those kinds of stories were fuel for um different kinds of anxieties and energies to find outlets but also ways to imagine a, a very different life and um and i think um that that's an important role i i would point to for instance the um the the fiction of Juno Diaz, um, especially the Strange and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, as a um a, a beautiful literary portrayal 
of the um, the sentiments of that kind of generation for whom geek stuff um, was not asocial. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah. So I, I think that we're in the pocket of that kind of work here in Niobe because it's a fantasy story. Um, it's a story. It's a world where there's, you know, maybe elves at war with orcs. I, I'm terrible at <laughs> maintaining details. I love world building. I love good world building, but I, I am not the kind of person who studies the, the details of them to really grasp them. Well, I never played RPGs, um, because I would suck at them because there's just too many things to remember. I'm a, uh, <laughs> I'm not a great details guy. <laughs> I'm a general themes kind of guy, if you haven't figured that out. Um, but anyway, there's some deep mythology that's that's been established already by the time you get to Niobe. Uh, Niobe herself, though, is a kind of um, a uh, kind of uh, sort of a, a mess- messianic figure in this fantasy world. And one of the things that, as I was kind of alluding to about this fantasy world, is that um, it's it's a fundamentally agonistic world and the word agonistic means that it's kind of conflict laden you know that everything is sort of a matter of of um you know there's a a part of it that's a very dystopian world and that is a you know a dystopia is a kind of exploration of what what we deem as what we feel like is something uh, so wrong with the way that things are in the world that you just kind of can't shake that that mood and that is a um i think a deeply felt truth for many people who grow up in a world that um, you're sort of constantly exposed by the news of all that's wrong with our systems, um, and the sense of trust in, um, you know, power structures and institutions has eroded so much. Um, and and then in that kind of a world, you know, who you are, what's right and what's wrong is very much it's you know your sense of identity, your selfhood is very much hewn out of conflict. You don't sort of assume that you can trust. You know, authority figures, your teachers and parents or whomever to raise you and, and to be for your good all the time that you very much have to, um, you know, individuate by, um, in conflict, basically in struggle. And, um, and so there's not a lot of getting along anywhere. You know, every teacher or even every lover is kind of wrought out of negotiation. And I think that's, very much the world that Niobe uh, is in. As I said, she's kind of a young Messiah figure, and I think in this universe she is the Moses. She is the the messianic kind of character who has you know been prophesied is the daughter of the evil king who's after her. Um, she's the uh, the one who's sort of to bring a, re- a reconciliation or redemption or whatever. But you can see that you know every step in her journey is a struggle, and in this book. Basically, um, it, it's a little hard. It was took me a few readings to fi- kind of get my bearings. But basically, that uh, we we meet Niobe in a sort of young woman status. Um, she looks so cool. Um, did I talk about Ashley Woods yet? I can't remember. So, so as I said, what drew me to the book is Ashley Woods' art. Should clarify, Ashley Woods is different from Ashley Wood. There's a comics. Um, he's he's actually an Australian, um, you know, cover and design artist. He's done stuff for Spawn and. That's Ashley Wood, um, singular, <laughs> let's say, and uh, Ashley Woods, plural. Ashley A. Woods is a um, is a uh, uh, an, an artist who uh, created a series called Millennia War in the past, uh, I think 2010. Um, in the years since, uh, I think has continued to improve and grow as a as an artist. Uh, and I think the work on in Naobi Shia's life is is 
is top notch. It's really good looking. Um, always there's things that can be critiqued. Um, and, uh, I, I'll actually mention a word about, a word or two about them. But actually, even with each issue between one and three, I think there's leaps being made. Um, maybe, uh, part of that is, uh, we should also chalk up to Daryl May, who is a, um, who's done coloring work uh, in Batman and, um, but has done a lot of the layout work in several of these series in the Stranger Comics line. And uh, you can tell that there is uh, somebody who is uh, pretty adept at layouts, who is uh, working with Jones, uh, I'm sorry, working with Woods to really kind of um, bring out the best in each other. Um, Woods is incredible style and, um, and something very, very fresh and very, very um, sort of emotionally uh, driven. Uh, May has a, a, a an additional technical prowess to uh, Woods's technical prowess that I assume is part of contributing to to what makes this book look so good, and it does look really, really good. Um, one of the things that I, I guess I want to focus my analysis on is an aspect of the books that um, the art that I think has a role, not just in making it look cool, um, although that's part of it, and I'll actually specify what ways it makes it look cool, look cool, but, but also has a thing to do with the theme, and I think with, um, what the book kind of, how the book kind of sings to, to its readers. Um, and that's the aspect of, of, um, the panel layout where a lot of widescreen panels are being used. Um, widescreen panels are something that, um, obviously have always existed in comics. And what I mean by widescreen is, you know, of course, we're talking about the kind of aspect ratio where we're talking, where, where a panel is very horizontal more than vertical. And traditionally comics have been uh, American comics, you know, in, in this kind of a uh, saddle stitched, you know, or stapled layout have been, um, uh, drawn with more of a, uh, a horizontal I'm sorry, a vertical panel orientation. For instance, the super traditional either nine panel, six panel, or four panel grid tends to create, um, you know, vertical rectangles or squares. And it kind of makes sense from the vantage point that comics have often focused on people and people stand vertically. And so if you want to have, you know, the upper half of a character or the, even the upper half of two characters, you're likely to draw a vertical panel, one that stands taller than it does wide. But, um, but, uh, and, and one of the things that's done is it's conditioned the way that we read comics, including the sense of time and, and, um, our, what we fill in in between panels in the gutters. But, um, widescreen panels have a very different effect, and it's an effect that started to become exploited. I mean, it's always been used, but it, it started to really become exploited in comics where, you know, virtually the whole book was in widescreen panels. Um, around the time of, um, of Warren Ellis and, and Mark Miller, um, writing books like Planetary and The Authority and um, and The Ultimates, and uh, with artists like Brian Hitch and and um, John Cassaday and others, and that uh, widescreen panel was you know really kind of attributed to uh, uh, something that was kind of a cinematic effect. You hear the word cinematic often, and I think um, that's an intentional uh, approach that Jones has talked about that 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 they want to do something very cinematic with this comic. And, um, cinematic because it looks like a movie, right? And, um, and so there's a few things that I want to talk about as effects of the widescreen panels. I'll talk about this and I'll also throw some sample pages onto the, um, the Paul list, but I definitely, I, and I won't be giving away, uh, plot spoilers. Um, I think I've given some rough outlines of the story. Basically, Niobe, um, 
is this character that I've talked about. She uh, finds this monastery um, under a jungle. And then um, I'll actually read the sort of intro page on the third issue. Under the tutelage of Bragnar, a wise but aging uh, Magram, or dwarf, dwarf, the young warrior princess has found an order of Galamren, wild elf boys learning to become men. Feeling out of place, she found comfort in an unlikely friend, a Sin Grachuk, a half-orc boy who has been accused of murdering two of the tribe. Okay, I'm not even done reading this, but you get probably kind of get a sense of why I'm not narrating the story to you and instead reading to you a recap page because this is a lot of, you know, species and races and... um and character names that, uh, well, it sounds like fantasy, right? And it is. That's exactly what it is. It's um, all those things, many of those things that are part of the fantasy. There's a the um, apprenticing under the the tough mentor. There's the um, you know the the sort of uh, conflicts, internecine conflicts between uh, <laughs> uh, you know people who are part of the same band. You know, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, not not that it's poorly done or that it's tropey. Um, it's actually, uh, I think interestingly done uh story's not finished i think it's supposed to finish in the fourth issue but story's not finished yet but i think uh especially as the story goes on as you get into the second third issues things really fall into place and um it seems like a well-done world and you know um jones and company are doing additional world building in in back matter and little essays and things like that so if you're into this kind of fantasy stuff i think there's plenty of good uh, stuff in here. And, oh, and by the way, you can also go back and read those other series that I mentioned, The Untamed and stuff like that, for um, more of this world. Um, but an aspect of the world is um, is that it's being created by Woods uh, and then and Jones and Stenberg. Uh, I think there's a consciousness about these characters. Um, many of them are half orc, half elf situations or people in different characters that are in different statuses and um it's actually uh it reminded me about something that um woods tends to be doing and i'm reading now from deborah whaley's black women in sequence about not this series but um was his previous series millennia war where um she writes whaley writes uh, Millennium War presents a, a visual recoding of race rarely seen in comics, although seen, I think, I would argue here in Niobe, she is life. Um, sorry, that was me. <laughs> Where all characters, whether elven or human, uh, appear ethnically diverse without replicating nebulous multiculturalism, cultural demonization, or fetishistic otherness. Woods discloses that the diversity among characters is both conscious and unconscious, and while her strongest characters are female, she is particularly aware of the repercussions of erroneous depictions of black American men in film and in comics. And now um, uh, Whaley's quoting Woods, and I think from an interview, the main characters in a millennia war all exist together from different creeds and backgrounds. After working on the books for the past couple of years, I've become aware about the message I send to readers. I don't really approve of how black males are portrayed in movies and in comics. So my character Julius, again, this is from a millennia war, a different series, but Woods talking about her creations is how I would like to see them more often in other movies and comics. He's very smart. He likes to read and he can even decipher some forms of hieroglyphics. I don't want him to follow the stereotype of the hothead or troubled person in the group. I hope my readers have noticed these things about him. And so there's a consciousness about race that is, you know, far from tokenism. Um, 
and uh you know even uh i think in very in intentional but um but also free also just sort of free to let characters be you know humans um and then but but to be also wrestling and reconciling with the fact of being um mixed um in many ways mixed even species um but i think that's an aspect of the book that is uh, very interesting and so it's it's fantasy in many ways but it's also you can tell in an intentional and a uh, a purposeful fantasy when it comes to those kinds of aspects of life, which are, um, you know, I think not a margin <laughs> in the fantasy realm, but, but really very much at the center. Um, and so that's, uh, an interesting aspect of the book, but to, to come back to the, um, the widescreen aspect of it. So, uh, you look through the pages of these books and you'll notice that, um, many of the pages are five, six, um, panels and for the most part the standard rhythm that we've sort of that we sort of are trained to read is these widescreen panels you know it's uh, it's uh, almost always either a, a, a layout of five or six horizontal panels or somehow riffing on that by having a um, you know two sort of uh, vertical panels that are basically a split horizontal widescreen panel or some place where the vertical panel is introduced for instance in one uh, page that I'm looking at from uh, issue three, you know, there's there's a sort of little bug, which is a the voice of a god, I think, <laughs> um, a little light bug that's sort of flying, and so there's a kind of verticality to its movement. So the contrast when it's not a, a widescreen um, panel is very intentional in terms of portraying a different kind of motion. But there's a few things that happen when you do widescreen panel. Uh, one is, as I said, most figures, right? Most people, which is what we tend to watch when we're looking at stories and characters, most people are vertical most of the time. Um, if they're horizontal, they're, uh, they've been knocked down or they're sleeping <laughs> or something like that. Or in my case, they, uh, they, um, probably need to, um, to wake up and, and get to work. <laughs> um, but uh, since most characters are vertical most of the time, what happens in a widescreen panel is that there is a, a slice of the character that's shown. And then there's a whole lot of space that's used up with background, right? And so I want to talk about the background and then I want to talk about the space. Because one of the things that happens when you have a whole lot of background emanating from the right and the left or the sides of the character is that one, the position of the character vis-a-vis -vis the background starts to matter more. So that you can put a person more to the right third or the left third or the center third or whatever. And that movement, you know, is a lot more like what are, what we're used to of the movement of a character on a screen, right? There's much more of a stage right and stage left when you have widescreen panels. But the second thing is that if you, when you have background in every panel, I mean, take a look at any comic page that doesn't have a lot of uh, widescreen panels that has a lot of more um, uh, vertical panels and you'll see that you can kind of cheat on the background a lot you know um, you can uh, do you know you can do one or two panels on a page of six or seven panels that fills in the background and the rest are imagine our own imaginations fill in and you can you might be zooming in on characters or or hands or objects or whatever and you can sort of dispense with drawing too much background in fact too much background can make a page look ultra messy well, what happens when you have widescreen panels is that you always have some amount of the background. And what that does, uh, especially in a book like this, is it gives you a real sense of atmosphere, right? That the characters are always in the setting 
that I don't know why I said that that way this are always in the setting that they're in and so you never sort of abandon the sense of their place and that's part of the cinematic effect that a you know an artist like Cassidy or Hitch um, the realism that they seem to be making uh, you know good use of um, or in this case an artist like Woods and, and I think Woods is less of a a seeking realism artist so much as a creating a, a, a universe and an atmosphere kind of artist you know a lot if you look at a page of this and, and this is I think another aspect of reading it so one of the knocks on the widescreen panel is that oh well it's it's also a, a bit of a cheat because you don't have to fill in as much stuff well you know what but one but that's really actually depending on the artist because you know we should operate from the assumption this is kind of a comics analysis rule of thumb that most people don't read a comics page just narrowly one panel at a time actually what we tend to do is appraise a whole page determine which way to read first whether it's text or image or whatever and we tend to strategize our with our eyes based on how the artist leads us and when you see a full page you take in the full page and then you take in the parts and you're always your brain is always going back and forth between the full page and the parts and in Niobe you'll see that um, you know, sometimes in subtle ways, where the bleed panel is, or the one that doesn't have a border, or how the panels fit together, are there's almost like the background painted across the whole page, and the action is written and designed so that a page has coherence. And so you'll see a page where, yeah, you maybe have two two different characters, and the camera, so to speak, is going back and forth between them, but the background is one uniform world, often with a color palette that's meant to convey the same emotion. And that's a big part of this, too, is that a lot of these backgrounds are sort of sky, or woods, or darkness, or just a color, um, but the, but the, all of the, that color is part of the, not only the world creation, but the, also the creating of the sense of of tone and feeling that um, Woods and May are up to. And so you see that every panel is filled with a lot of atmosphere. And it kind of constantly reminds you that these characters are part of a world, right? A world where um, the things that they're engaged in play out and sort of affect the whole universe, which, you know, can be <laughs> overblown if you're an indie comic about some navel-gazing teenagers. But when you're trying to write a fantasy story where the stakes are that this character's progression winds up, you know, having some ultimate fate in the whole entire universe, then I think you do want to have that sense of atmospheric stuff. So, you know, again, the page coheres as a whole. You read a page, the consistency of color, the background, even if it's sort of shifting from one piece of it to another, you know, it's not one drawn background. It's actually a split up background in all these different slices. And you have to, and it feels animated and alive because characters are moving across that background as your eye moves down the page. Um, another thing that happens is that the widescreen panels are um, consequential for timing and sequencing. And what happens is that when you read, when we read panels vertically, because our brains have been kind of trained to read horizontal panel breaks as either abut, ab abrupt shifts or some kind of adjacent um, grammar, um, to use a linguistic word, it's syntagmatic. So like when we read things horizontal, like uh, across ho horizontally a page, we read it like almost like a sentence, you know, but when you have um, horizontal panels, what you can do is this kind of, uh, they talk about this as decompressed storytelling, where you can uh, break the left to right reading habit that makes you think of a sentence, and you much more have like a, a feeling of a series of moments in, in a series of film shots. And I think our brains tend to read that um, and, and put together the moments much more 
like it, like like there's a f- smooth flow between them so that a page can you know you know it, in a 1940s golden age comic you would have a panel on the left you know superman you know uh picks up the car and then panel on the right you know and we sort of fill in the gap in between he stands over the river thrusting the car and you know and <laughs> we filled in the gap in between the the widescreen panels allow you to show action sort of beat by beat by beat, right? Or, or reactions to characters and, and, and sort of, um, conversation beat by beat by beat. And so it, it's great for what, um, you know, people call decompressed storytelling. But, um, that kind of decompression or that kind of, um, beats making is, is really important for a book like this in terms of, of being able to portray action, number one. But also, you know, and this is one of the knocks that's sometimes, um, the cri- criticisms that's made of widescreen panels is that you, you draw slices of the characters. You don't draw the full figure. And so there's not as much acting involved, you know, where you draw the full figure of the character and the, and the, and that full figure does the, does the, um, does the, you know, the work, um, the characterization work. But that's, I think, a bit of a, a, a lie too, because, um, you don't draw the full figure, but you draw all these slices that have to be carefully picked out. You know, it's a kind of cinematography. And, um, and, and also these slices allow for the purposeful close-ups, which, you know, really allows you to make a story like this be about what's going on with characters behind their eyes, what subtle feelings are expressed by their hands or their shoulders. And you're not obsessed with the, the sort of, big picture stereotype of their entire physiognomy which is really important in a story like this where i think you're trying to get beyond you know the fact that this is just um a girl who looks like this who has sort of you know dreads looking hair or or that this half orc half um elf character looks like that you're trying to get to their affect and really to their um their emotion and uh, especially i think in issue three where things are culminating the widescreen panel allows you to do that and I think that's so important for the thematics in this book of being able to um, show a world, create a world where characters are complex. Yes, the world is, is you know, dystopian and dark and huge, but the characters are working out something individual in their selfhood in the midst of all this complexity. Um, I'm trying to hold myself to a discipline of ending on a time, and so this this music is telling me that this has been the Paul list. Um, you should check out. Um, you can go to Stranger Comics o- online. Uh, they're also on Com- Comicsology to pick up Niobe uh, one, two, and three. Um, thanks for joining us. Join us tomorrow um, to apply it. Twitter. <laughs> Let's keep reading. <laughs>